Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce you now. Logan Hurleyhe is a senior exercise physiologist and general manager at Discover Strength Draper, opening this fall in my backyard here in Utah. Discover Strength is one of the fastest growing and highest revenue producing boutique fitness concepts in the world. They specialize in one-on-one and small group training with the understanding that busy people don't have time to waste on exercise that doesn't work. They deliver twice per week, 30 minute workouts with an expert trainer that will help you look and feel your best in a fraction of the time. Logan has been in the fitness industry for over six years and has personally supervised over 20,000 resistance training sessions. Wow. He is the author of the book, How to Look Good Naked, which is available now on Amazon. He's hoping to have a second book launched in the middle of 2024. As a speaker, Logan has given lectures nationally and internationally on health and fitness. Logan is also the host of the fantastic Discover Strength podcast, where real experts in the field of evidence-based exercise discuss current research and dispel common fitness myths and misconceptions. Find Logan by emailing him at logan at discoverstrength.com. Logan Hurley, he would an absolute honor to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Thanks for having me, Casey. It's almost like I wrote that introduction myself. It's it's, it's, it's amazing. It sounds amazing. You've accomplished a lot in your life. Um, yeah. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, and also welcome to Utah. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a pretty crazy sensation to just you know look out your office window and see see the mountain range. So it's it has not jaded me yet, and hopefully it it never will. You yeah, know, it's it's beautiful here. That's fantastic. So I, I did mention in the introduction that you were in my backyard. Draper is actually where I spent most of my life growing up. And so you and I were able to get together for coffee the other day. And um, that was my stomping grounds, dude. Like all of my high school friends lived on that exact street, Fort Street. We actually used to play a game in high school where we take like a big group of kids, like 20 kids, and we'd start at one spot at the bridge um, and designate maybe like four or five people to be the fugitives. And then you'd have like the rest of the group would be in their cars as the marshals. And you'd have to get from this bridge all the way up a hill to a gas station about three miles away in one hour without getting tagged by these people. And so as the fugitive, you'd be running in backyards, hopping fences, hiding in window wells. And this is all at night. And so the marshals would be driving everywhere with flashlights. Like we had a great time <laughs> doing stuff like that growing up. That sounds freaking awesome. I don't even know if kids do stuff like that anymore. You probably get arrested too, right? Because everybody has the uh, the automatic doorbells and security systems and stuff. So Good times yeah. back in the day. I don't think we could pull that off today for sure. Um, so, so how long have you been in Utah? Uh, let's see. We got here. Well, we drove out on the first of August. I think we got here on the third. So, what's today? Twenty fifth. Just over three weeks. Three weeks. Wow. Okay. I think it's a fair yeah. time to ask you. Then you've been here. You know, not very long, but maybe long enough. What is your most favorite part about Utah so far? And what is your least favorite part about Utah so far? Um, let's see. I mean, the, the favorite just has to be the view and the weather's not too shabby either. I mean, I was honestly surprised at how nice it is pretty much every day. And maybe for, what do you, Utah, Utahns, Utonians, Utahns. U- I, call us, I call us Utards, <laughs> but, uh, Utahns is fine. <laughs> Whatever it might be people from Utah. Um, I'm sure with a, a little bit of the rain, you know, it'd been, been not as nice for you guys, but coming from Minnesota where it's super muggy, um, you know, especially the last week or two, it's been over, over triple digits out there. So I'm pleasantly surprised by how nice, you know, the desert is. Um, so that's, that's been really cool. And, and obviously the view, you just can't beat. Um, I don't know if this is a negative thing at all. Cause I, everybody's been really nice to me here. I haven't had any issues, but my fiance and I were talking about, about this. It seems like the days are a little bit longer. So we've just been like feeling more tired by like seven o'clock, which isn't a bad thing, but it's like, man, this day is taking forever, which again, not a bad thing at all. I don't know what the, why that is, but it's been, uh, it's been interesting that we both kind of felt that way. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, and, and you know what, like, People talk about Colorado and Denver, and I try to promote Denver as much as possible. I'm trying to get sponsored by the Visit Colorado people to keep people away from here because it's getting so busy. You think that like the Denver area is like right by the mountains, and it's not even close to the mountains where you are. It's like a ten, not even close. You're like a ten to fifteen minute drive to be to like many different spots that would take you in the mountains. It's that close. It's just it's wonderful to get up there. It, It really thins out quite a bit. So oftentimes you'll be walking a trail. You might be the only one on the trail at the time. It's pretty great. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I knew it was beautiful, right? You see pictures and stuff, but I, I love that idea of keeping people out of here, even though I'm brand new to Utah. Um, but no, it's, yeah, it's, it's surreal, man. You know, you're driving on the highway and you just see like, oh, I could get there in 30 minutes or less. And I, my, my best friend from, from college um, lives in Denver. And I thought it was pretty close when we went, you know, 45 minutes to get to a, a hiking trail the last time I was out there. But it legitimately is, I mean, 10 minutes or less from where we are in Draper to to get to some really nice hikes. And obviously you go a few hours beyond there and you've got some of the, the most beautiful national parks in the world. So well, we better stop this Utah commercial right here and now. It's a wonderful place, very special, and it's really great to welcome you to the area. And like yeah. I said, we're recording virtually today, but it was nice to, to actually meet you in person, have a coffee with you the other day. It was great. Yeah, no, it was great, man. And I'm, I'm very excited to be here and very excited to chat with you and um, talk to some you, you tonight's <laughs> perfect dude. Well, you're, you're here to talk about some of my favorite subjects, talking about resistance training, maybe throwing a little bit of diet in there and the things you've learned along the way. Um, it, it's really interesting when you get into this kind of subset of the world of fitness, how interesting, you know, strength training can change what we think strength training is and, and, and what we can make it, you know, we really tend to overcomplicate things when we can make things a lot more simple, even though they don't have to be easy. So we're going to deep dive into all of that. But first you, you have a very interesting story into fitness. We said in the introduction, you've been doing it for six years, not what you studied in college. How, how did your life kind of lead you down this path of getting interested in health? Yeah. So I actually, uh, I have a degree in communications from the university of, uh, central Florida, 2017 national champs for anybody who's paying attention, um, <laughs> go Knights. So I, uh, I got my degree there with the, the idea that I was going to be a broadcast journalist, uh, ideally sports journalism, um, just never panned out, uh, as you may or may not know, if you follow sports, it's mostly former professional athletes, uh, that get those jobs. And I was not one of those people. So, uh, I sort of bounced around jobs for a long time. I was in hospitality for, for a great many years and, uh, I, I was struggling with, with drinking. Um, so eventually I, you know, long story short, I, I turned things around. I moved to Minnesota to get sober in, uh, 2017, um, and I was lucky enough to get involved with a, a company out there that didn't have any requirements for, for strength training backgrounds or um, exercise science backgrounds, uh, not Discover Strength. Discover Strength has very strict um, requirements. But this other place was called uh, My Strength Studio. And the owner there, Kevin Ness, took a flyer on me, gave me a shot. I spent about a year and a half there learning all about Arthur Jones and Nautilus and Ken Hutchins and the history of, um, I would say, smart evidence-based exercise. And that propelled me to to applying with uh, Discover Strength, and I've been there ever since, and and not looked back. So, yeah, that's fantastic. I just I'm so jealous that you found that from the very beginning, um, versus learning it down the road, like later on in your career. I had only found you know those names and that form of strength training much later in my career. So I had to do a lot of unlearning to try to like relearn this new concept, which is fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about those people and what makes them special? Yeah, for sure. I think it's important to note too, that I spent a great many years in my own, just training myself doing really dumb stuff as many people have done. So, uh, from a, from a, uh, teaching and a, a training perspective, as far as working with clients, yes, I think I was very, uh, lucky to, to get exposed to Arthur Jones and Ken Hutchins early on, but I, I did a lot of dumb things <laughs> in my, my teens and, and early twenties, uh, on the road to, to getting to there to smart, efficient exercise. So, um, are you talking about Arthur Jones and, and Ken Hutchins specifically, like a little background? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Arthur Jones, um, for some of your listeners may know, was the founder of Nautilus uh, strength training equipment in the 1970s. He, he realized that the barbell was a great tool, but it, it wasn't the most effective way potentially to strength train. So he created an entire line of strength training equipment that, that really changed the entire fitness industry as a whole. So there's really no machine that you would see in any commercial gym today, or even private gym that's not been impacted by Arthur Jones and Nautilus. He created the, uh, original like plate loaded, um, and the, uh, selectorized machines for, um, isolated movements. So single joint movements, like extension, leg curl, um, add an abduction, bicep curls, things like that. And also big multi-joint movements like chest press, leg press, all that stuff, multiple iterations over many decades, eventually sold that company, created another brand called Medex, which is a fantastic brand with more of a, a physical therapy, um, mindset. They created one of the best low back, probably the best low back strength training tool, um, ever invented. Um, he sold that company as well. 
crazy guy, really interesting life story. One of his disciples, I guess you could call it that, Ken Hutchins, um, on the road to creating MedEx, was doing some research in the 1980s at the University of Florida um, on osteoarthritic women. And they devised a strategy for strength training that was really effective for these uh, for these female clients um, that was called super slow. So they labeled it super slow. It's 10 seconds in either direction. Um, some iterations are four second positive, 10 second negatives. There's, there's variations on it, but essentially moving slower than you ever would otherwise, completely eliminating momentum, using lighter weights, taking exercises to complete momentary muscular failure. And the results were, were pretty incredible. So um, those two guys had a huge impact on, on my sort of career trajectory and, and teaching me probably the right way in my estimation to strength train the vast majority of people. Wow. That's fantastic. When we go back to your personal story, what made you jump from the gym you started at to then move towards discover strength? Yeah. So, so, uh, my strength studio, which is now called Myo strong, it's, it's still in, um, Minnetonka, Minnesota. Um, fantastic gym, just as a small ownership, right? So Kevin Ness, the, the owner there had, uh, two locations. I think they've expanded to as many as three. And then with COVID went back down to two, there just wasn't a lot of growth opportunities, or at least in the sense that I was looking for. Um, and discover strength was a rapidly growing concept. Um, they were called, uh, what's, what's called a, a unicorn in the, um, the, the, industry space. It's, I forget what the exact metrics are, but it's something like, you know, 50% year over year growth for seven plus years or something along those lines. Right. So a really fast, rapidly growing company. I'm sure we'll talk more about uh, the growth of discover strength in the last few years, but I just saw a fantastic opportunity to not just become a trainer, but potentially a leader, um, which kind of led me, led me here today. Hmm. Had you followed Luke Carlson for a long time? I actually didn't know who Luke was um, until I, I went and interviewed with the company. I think maybe I had heard him on, on Lawrence Neal's podcast once or twice before, maybe talking in passing with Kevin about, about who he was. Um, but as soon as I went to, so we've got a really interesting interview process at, uh, at discover strength where we actually meet with the owner, right? So the first interview you sit down with Luke Carlson um, and he kind of gives you the, the vision speech, right? What is discover strength? What are our core values? What are the things that get us out of bed in the morning? And if you don't align with these values, let's just both part ways right now. We can say goodbye cordially and, uh, you know, never, never look back. Or if these kind of things get you excited, then, you know, hop on board, take the next step. And as soon as I met Luke in person, I knew right away, like, this is, this is the company I want to work for. So, wow. We now work for ourselves and start our own company during the pandemic, but I've worked for places that either say they don't, they have core, core values and, and never follow them or just don't even approach them. And, uh, yeah, it can be very frustrating as an employee of some of those places that, that really don't really value their, you know, quality employees, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's the thing that really stood out to me. I'd never even heard the term core values. I, I that might be incorrect. I mean, we, we had something similar in structure at my strength studio, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what they were. Um, we, we had talked about them maybe in my onboarding process, but it wasn't as consistently driven into your skull as it is at, at discover strength on a, on a regular basis. So, okay. Back to your history. You said you were doing stupid stuff in the gym before you found this new way of doing things. Before we talk about the new way of doing things, describe what your workout programs were like before. Yeah. So I think, uh, one of the first exercise books I ever bought, um, it was, gosh, what was his name? It's not, it's not Mario Lopez. It might've been Mario Lopez. Is that the guy from, um, saved by the bell? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I think he had like a workout book that was all kinds of like five days a week stuff. And he, you know, really impressive physique, at least in his thirties and forties. Um, and then I just, you know, I, I went from there, I started going to like the local gold's gym and just asking what the guy, you know, the guy who had the biggest biceps, what they were doing and, you know, went on a split program and I was training five days a week for two to three hours. I do cardio first. And then I, I train for an hour, hour and a half. And then I do another 30 minutes of cardio at the end. And, uh, it wasn't like, I wasn't getting results. My senior year of high school, I went from 140 pounds to 190 pounds in about six months. Wow. Um, and you know, obviously I was a late bloomer as well. Right. So <laughs> A lot of that was just going through puberty and actually, um, you know, experiencing some of the results of natural hormone production. Right. Um, 
But I think because those two things coincided, me going to the gym more and experiencing sort of that actual results, um, you know, I was bought in. I was like, this is obviously how you have to work out. Time to start reading Arnold and committing to doing that stuff. And I just spent way too much time in the gym. And I I love the gym. Um, So I wouldn't say it was time not well spent. But very quickly, you know, you reach a plateau, you you just start to think like, oh, I'm never going to look like those guys in the magazines, all that stuff. And um, eventually in my 20s, I found uh, CrossFit, as many, uh, many people did uh, about 10 years ago. And uh, I started experimenting with that. Um, I really liked the community aspect, which I think is what, what most people would say is the, the big positive of CrossFit. But I'm still dealing with a shoulder injury. You know, I stopped doing CrossFit 10 plus years ago. I still have a lingering um, rotator cuff injury from from just doing stupid stuff. Um, so, and then thankfully, I you know I got sober. I moved to Minnesota. I learned how to strength train correctly, and I haven't looked back since. That's amazing. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had any type of like lingering um, injuries. It, I, I guess it's not fair to say that all CrossFit will make everybody injured at some point. It just really what I've observed for the most part is it's, it's way more likely that you're going to come across something hip knees, shoulders is really common. There's so much weight you're throwing overhead. My experience with CrossFit, I only went once, nobody corrected my form or taught me how to do anything. And they just tell me to go quicker on everything I, I was doing, like, just go faster, just go faster. That's all it was. Again, I know not every CrossFit studio is like that, but that was my personal experience. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, say you're probably pretty spot on with, with what most CrossFit gyms are. And I'm sure they're, you know, they've come a long way since then, right? Because CrossFit has grown so drastically, but especially in the beginning, people were just printing money, right? So they were just opening studios and putting the name CrossFit on there and you could get, you know, 300 people sign up right away and just uh, program whatever crazy freaking workouts you wanted to do. And, it, you know, the gym I was at, I loved and those guys are still in business and um, I'm sure they've, they've changed their, they're programming quite a bit to be safer and, and more meaningful because they've been doing it for a long time now, but it, it getting injured was sort of a badge of honor in CrossFit, which is so weird to think about, but like people would have their knees blown out and just like still come to class and be like, yeah, I blew it out in the wad last week, but you know, I'm going to get back as soon as I can. It's just this weird culture, um, you know, of just push harder, push harder, push harder. Um, which if you're getting paid, you know, a lot of money to do that. Sure. But when you're paying somebody else to potentially injure yourself, it, you know, in retrospect, just doesn't make much sense. It makes you wonder if CrossFit was invented by orthopedic surgeons or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. a funny I mean, thing. that's a conspiracy, right? Exactly. <laughs> just keep the Ponzi team going. So that's the funny thing about, like, when you see CrossFit, you watch CrossFit athletes, CrossFit athletes don't hardly do CrossFit. Like, if you saw their programs, it would, it would look nothing like CrossFit. And all of their energy and attention is way more on the recovery side of things because whatever competitions they're going to be doing are so difficult. They need way more time to recover. And people don't see that. You only see the, 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 the sexy thing on TV where these guys are pushing themselves to their limits. You don't see what goes on on the back end. Yeah. And I, I mean, not to harp on CrossFit too much because I think it's, it's helped a lot of people and it's really done a lot for just group fitness in general. I think a lot of really popular concepts have sort of spun off of, well, we can't do CrossFit, but we can do something that's similar, right? You know, add in some, some hit and some Tabatas and, um, you know, get people a, a great workout in a, a relatively short amount of time. But as with most sports, right, there's, nobody talks about what are those people doing besides weight training. Um, and it has a lot to do with, with chemicals, um, that, that allow them to recover in a quicker fashion and grow to the sizes that they can potentially grow to. So, um, you know, I, I think just normal people doing something that really takes a huge toll on your body is probably not the best thing in the long term. It'd be like, Oh, I'm going to go play football on Sundays, uh, because you know, this linebacker that I like is jacked. Okay. Well, you're a 35 year old, you know, financial analyst. You probably shouldn't do that. Goodbye hamstring. No chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I, I, I love how you mentioned community. I agree. Nobody does community better than CrossFit, but there's other ways to do it. Okay. So you've had all this history with lots of different types of workouts, really, really heavy loads and volumes and lots of time spent. What was it like to go to the new gym and learn a different concept? Um, I honestly thought that he was joking that Kevin, uh, was joking when he first told me what, what the programming was like at, in the super slow facility. Um, you know, for, for us, it was 20 minute workouts once or twice per week. 
Um, and it was typically built around a big five, which uh, for people who maybe read Body by Science by Doug McGuff uh, and John Little, big five, just multi-joint push-pull, push-pull and a leg um, complex of some kind. So I went in and we started with leg press. Um, and after that, literally moving that slide, never moved that slow in my entire life um, on an exercise. So we were doing 10-10 pacing and um you know, pushing past the point of, of failure. And I got off there and I thought I was dead. And then we still had four more exercises to go. So, uh, he very quickly made a believer out of me. I think that first workout took less than 20 minutes. It was maybe 15 minutes or something. I don't think I even made it through all five exercises. I think I probably did leg press, pull down, um, chest press, and then like a static row or something. And I was dead. So, uh, it didn't take long, which I, I think is the case for most people if they've never experienced a uh, real hit before, um, to, to become a believer or at least think there's something to this. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you said that hit that is H I T one T, which we've talked about this on this podcast before. If you're trying to look for this stuff, you can even type out high intensity training. You're not going to find H I T. You're going to find the way more popular H I I T high intensity interval training, which may or may not have some utility for some people, but it, it, that's, that's where people are going towards because it seems like this really great workout. You're sweaty, you're breathing hard, you're you're jumping around, throwing things, whatever the workout might be. And people associate that working really hard with getting really good results when th there's really not great evidence that that's the case. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's concentrated interval training, like we just released an episode this week, we had uh, Martin Gabala on who's kind of the leader um, in high intensity interval training, one of the, the founders of it from McMaster university and did a lot of the initial research. Like if you're doing interval training on a bike, right. And, and that's your form of, of cardiovascular exercise, it can be profoundly beneficial, but if you're just applying the principles of interval training to every sort of workout you might possibly want to do and, and throwing weights around, like you said, and, and just taking these principles and not actually applying them in a way that's, um, fatiguing the muscle in a way that's going to stimulate growth over the long term, then you're just doing yourself a disservice. And I, I think where a lot of people get confused, right. And, and I'm sure you've seen this Casey is you will get results in the beginning doing pretty much anything, right? So if, if you haven't done anything before and you go to a place where they're doing interval training and you're throwing weights around and you're, you know, the alternative was you being on the couch for the first few weeks, maybe even the first few months, you will see benefits, but very quickly your body adapts and you start to think, okay, well, it's not working for me anymore. So you stop, you take six months off, a year off, you go back, you do something similar, you get the same results again, and you just, you know, rinse and repeat, um, as opposed to progressive overload over the long term, doing something like resistance training at Discover Strength or, or any other fitness concept that's really going to apply these high intensity training, just the one eye principles. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some of those principles that you guys use at Discover Strength. Uh, what is super slow? How does it work? And again, what are some of the other core concepts you guys preach to your people? Yeah. So we don't actually use super slow at Discover Strength. We, we incorporate some of the, um, some of it, right? We we have a, a protocol we use that's based on the super slow protocol, but um, we we really focus on the foundation of high intensity training, which is you know how Arthur Jones envisioned it. So it's it's hard, brief, and infrequent, right? So hard meaning uh, a set of a particular exercise should be as hard as possible. So you're not doing multi set training. Occasionally we'll do multiple sets with people, but 99% of the, the training that we're doing at Discover Strength is going to be a single hard set, right? So it's brief. You can work hard or you can work long, but you can't work long for very hard or hard for very long, right? So um, we we minimize the amount of time you can actually work. It's 30 minutes twice per week, um, so super efficient. Uh, so there's your, your brief and then it's gotta be infrequent. You have to give yourself time to actually recover from the exercise. So if you're working as hard as you do at discover strength or any other high intensity training concept, you need actual recovery time. And we've found in the research, it seems to be about at least 48 hours and typically about 72 hours. So once every two to three days, which gives us that twice a week number. Um, and that's sort of where we we've kind of made our, our focus. 
you've already mentioned Body by Science, which is hugely influential, like I mentioned earlier in this discussion, later in my career, um, as to changing how I train people. I think I'm stealing this from that book. Like, if you look at, like, your hand and look at where, like, there's a place on your hand where you maybe, like, nick the countertop and you kind of cut yourself maybe a week, even two weeks ago, you can see that there's those things are still kind of recovering. Like, they take a while for your body to, like, build and repair. And it, it, it kind of gave that as an analogy, if I remember correctly, to say, like, imagine that happening inside the muscles. You are literally, you're walking out, excuse me, you're walking out of the gym in, in, in worse shape than when you walked in because you're just tearing up all of your muscles. Think about that repair process. Like that, that takes time. That's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. I, I, I think that's definitely from body by science and that's the, the typical sort of response we'll give to people when we talk about that. I think calluses are a great example as well, right? If you think of you know, whether it's from lifting weights or, or from, you know, swinging an ax, whatever it might be, it takes time to actually build those calluses up to make them stronger on your hands, right? If you, you know, get your hands all bloodied and beat up, you know, let's say it's swinging an ax because we're in the mountain country, right? You're swinging an ax, you're chopping wood, you do that all day or six hours one day. And then you go back and you do it again, and you go back and do it again. Very quickly, you're going to realize you can't even hold an ax anymore. But if you give yourself a little time to recover, your hands become stronger, right? They physically callous over that soft skin becomes harder. Um, it's more resilient and more resistant to friction. And then you can actually swing the ax longer and harder. And then you break that process down again and it just continues, you know, for forever, right? And it's the exact same process with your muscles. The the time you go in and, and beat yourself up from doing, you know, a 30 minute high intensity training session, you're not actually getting stronger. If anything, you're getting significantly weaker. Like you mentioned, when you leave the gym, you are worse off than you came in. But if you give yourself an adequate recovery period, uh, you're making sure that you're supplementing correctly, having enough protein, uh, sleeping adequately, then you're going to see the benefits. Um, and then the next time you come back in, assuming you time it correctly, you'll be even stronger than you were the previous time. Yeah, very well explained. I love that analogy. We, you, we've already talked about super slow and a specific kind of protocol for tempo. At Discover Strength, you guys do a little bit different. I'm assuming it's close to that end of the spectrum where it's a slower, more controlled type of a tempo when you're lifting weights. Why is that important? Yeah, so there's a few reasons for it, and, and you're correct. We do typically move with a slower cadence. Now, it's not as slow as, as super slow, that 10-10 pacing. Um, everything we do is sort of built around... Um, Nautilus principles. So it's, it's a two, four cadence. So two seconds on the concentric and four seconds, typically on the eccentric. And then we've got multiple variations of protocols from there. Right. But none of them are going to be faster than a two second, four second rep. Um, and there's a few reasons for it. The main ones are, are minimizing momentum, right. Which is going to just keep more tension on the actual working musculature as opposed to the joints and the connective tissues. So when you're moving really quickly, you're actually transitioning the force through momentum onto your joints and your connective tissue. And we're all about safety at Discover Strength, first and foremost, right? Do no harm. So we want to keep people as safe as possible. And then what you end up doing when you move a little slower is you actually focus on the muscles that you're working as opposed to just getting the reps over with, right? And in that focus, you're going to see that drastic increase in intensity. So if you've only done, you know, three sets of 10 before in a chest press, and you barely even feel it until that last, you know, that last set of 10, uh, doing reps at a two, four cadence with a weight that's significantly challenging and getting about six reps deep, you all of a sudden start to realize, and I've seen this literally thousands of times with people, oh, this is tough. This is very different than anything I've experienced before. And then we encourage people to go to the point of what we call momentary muscular failure. Um, you may have heard momentary fatigue. Um, some people call it momentary success, right? Depending on who you talk to. And I think those are all fine, fine examples. The way I like to think about it is, uh, you know, the, the examples that Arthur Jones used to give in his bulletins, which is if I put a gun to your head and I don't tell most people this, right. Cause it's a little extreme, but if I put a gun to your head, could you get another rep? And if the answer is yes, then you didn't work hard enough. Yep. I love that. I'll tell my clients sometimes, like when they say they're done, I say, if you do one more rep, I'll give you a free personal training session. And yeah. so they, they do the last rep and they finish it. And, and, and as soon as they're done, they go, okay, where's my free session? I'm like, oh, I'm not giving you a free session. They're like, you lied to me. I'm like, well, you lied to me about that last you rep. You lied to me. Yeah. Did I steal yeah. that from body by science as well? That might be. Yeah. I've, I've definitely used that one before a year of free training. If you can get another one, you know, when somebody's like, Oh, there's no way, there's no way. And then, you know, give me three more. Okay. For free training, I'll do it. Exactly. And it's like, well, well, 
you were lying to me. What are you talking about? Exactly. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> That's great. Okay. So for the person listening to this, um, you're, you're thinking about these tempos and we're on what I would consider kind of the faster end of, of quote unquote, like super slow Two concentric means two seconds to push the weight out. So as you're listening to this, count this out one, two, and then coming down eccentric is four, one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, four. That's pretty slow, dude. And again, I, I would consider that kind of the faster end of the spectrum. Most people I see in the gym are almost like a one, one where it's just quick up, quick down, quick up, quick down. Sometimes even faster than sometimes that. Sometimes faster. Yeah. You're letting the weight kind of, you know, drop on the, on the eccentric phase, which yours is even longer than the push phase, the concentric phase. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting to consider that is far slower than what most people are doing. Yeah. And I, I think they, that's, that's why it's so effective when you ask somebody to simply slow their reps down, even if it's the weight they've typically been using, it's such a great way to just sort of get this idea to click that, oh, okay, this is very different than anything I've done before. And it doesn't take long after you've done these sort of reps for a while and this style of training for a while to walk into a commercial gym. Um, you know, I'm using a, a commercial gym here strictly for their sauna. Um, so I, I go in and I see the the workout floor and it is mayhem. I mean, people are just, I, I'm surprised some of these machines can stand up after just, you know, a week of people abusing them, right? They're slamming weights down. They're moving, you know, maybe half a second in either direction. And, and you mentioned, you know, emphasizing the negative, the eccentric portion of the rep. And, and that's something that I, I don't think we pay enough attention to and is starting to garner a lot of interest in the industry is that's probably the most important part, right, is the actual lowering phase of any repetition. And you see almost no one actually paying attention to that. If anything, they're emphasizing the, the concentric part, right, the, the up part, and then just letting weights fall as they may, right? So it's a, it's a little depressing to, to go into a commercial gym after you've trained this way for a while. Totally. When we were working back at the corporate gym that we worked at, the maintenance guys, like two or three of them at our club, they were busy all the time, always fixing machines. They, they take a beating. <laughs> they take a beating. Okay. So, so you mentioned injury prevention. This has gone so, so, so much higher up on my priority list as I've done this, you know, for 16 years now, I didn't, think, you know, injury prevention is that big of a deal. I think it's the biggest deal. Now we mentioned in the introduction, you have supervised over 20,000 resistance training sessions of those 20,000 sessions. How many injuries did you see? Zero. Zero. Zero from people getting injured in their session. Now I've supervised probably a few thousand where people were injured already. Right. And we're advocating that they come in and still train around those injuries, but zero actually caused through, uh, this style of training. That is so impressive and so believable after having done this myself as well. Like it's, it's really impossible to injure somebody when you're working at those tempos. And this is, the, you know, we get a lot of arguments against machines, but this is a great argument for machines. We just had Mike and Carrie Beth Lepowski on who told us about, um, they're the best. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah. I really loved talking to them and they, they, they talked about the latest research coming out about free weights versus machines. It's like with a machine, we don't have to spend tons of time coaching you on how to do, you know, a leg extension, a back extension or whatever, chest press, like all of these things. Like it, 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 it's like you mentioned with Arthur Jones, like, yeah, it's cool. Like a dumbbell barbells, but machines can be utilized in so many different ways in really safe, safe ways. Yeah. And I, I mean, you touched on it and it's, it's just so important and it's as important for high level athletes as it is for grandmas, but high level athletes, you know, they, they're willing to risk things stupidly. In my opinion, you know, we, we talked about recently as a, as a company and Luke, our, our CEO put out a, a, he does a weekly fit tip. He calls it every, every Friday about Patrick Mahomes training on, on the show quarterback. If anybody's seen that on Netflix and his personal trainer that he's used since he was about 12 years old, who's really just riding this guy's coattails, has him put 135 pounds on a bar on his neck and jump explosively, right? And it's like, dude, what, what is the trade-off? There's literally no benefit to the risk, right? The ROI here is, is zero. It's negative. It's literally a half a billion dollars in the negative, right? If you injure this guy, um, but, but athletes aren't 
you know, trained in this stuff and they're, they're willing to risk things in order to continue to improve and be better. There is no reason for a grandma to do that. And for sure, somebody has seen that episode and they're going, I'm going to put, you know, Becky Lou, I'm going to put a, you know, a 20 pound dumbbell on her back and I'm going to make her do the same thing that Patrick Mahomes did because it's going to make her explosive. Firstly, no, it will not because there's no transfer. And secondly, why would you risk injuring this poor grandma in the benefit of trying to make her healthier, right? There's there's no reason to do that with the trade-off. And as Corey Beth and, and Mike obviously told you about, there's a huge meta-analysis that just came out that was talking about this exact topic, right? We've known for decades that machines are just as effective, arguably more effective, in my humble opinion, than, than free weight training um, for a variety of reasons. I think free weights are great tools. But now the the research is just piling up that there's no reason to risk any sort of injury because you're not seeing any additional benefit. And to me, the the risk or reward with using free weights for the most part is it's just not worth it. Yeah. If you have it, if you've got it available, if that's all you have, fine. Work around hundred percent. There's there's things yes. you can do with everything. I love using resistance bands. Inexpensive, you can get really thick ones. They are progressive in nature. So as you're gaining advantage depending on the exercise, the, the bands are literally getting harder. That's that's just one way. It's just one tool. And on that note, um, you mentioned Nautilus and, and different brand names of machines. And if you'd have asked me in the past, if you'd have told me the benefits of Nautilus, I would have said like, yeah, cool. Like there's hammer strength also, or there's hoist also, like they're just brand names. Like there's no real difference between them. They might be, you know, built for people of different heights or whatever, but, but there's not like a big difference. If all things were equal and people had unlimited access to whatever machines they had, why would they want to move towards Nautilus or some of the other brands that you mentioned? What makes those machines so special? A lot of uh, brands were built just with the idea that there is an industry for machines, which Arthur Jones helped create through Nautilus manufacturing, right? Um, so they just hopped on the bandwagon. Now, what made Nautilus so impressive and, and what makes them still, you know, some some machines I, I've trained at a gym here that's got a, a pullover machine that's over 40 years old, that's chain driven, and it still works probably like the day it was built. Um, and, and the reason is because of the, the camps on the machines, right? So they, they adjust the resistance curve based on how the muscles in the body in that particular motion are supposed to work. Meaning on a bicep curl, for instance, if you're using a dumbbell, there's almost no resistance at the bottom of the motion, right? When the weights are straight by your side, there's a decent amount of resistance in the middle. Once you get to about a 90 degree contraction, and then there's no resistance again at the top. And that's just based on the moment arm of the exercise, right? So you can grow big biceps doing bicep curls, but you're missing out on a huge portion of actual resistance through the range of motion. If you don't have a properly designed machine. So what Nautilus did is they created individual cams. So the, the, the movement that the strap, if you're using like a Kevlar strap, travels around. If you've seen those big shell-like objects on machines, um, they're supposed to, in theory, reflect the actual strength curve of the muscle that they're working directly. Um, so in a bicep curl, for instance, you're stronger in the contracted position. It should get tougher as you get higher up in the range of motion. Um, now, a lot of machines don't do that at all, right? So they just have pulley systems, which again, can be effective, but it's not evenly um, distributed resistance, right? So whether it's Nautilus is great. Uh, they, they haven't manufactured many new machines recently. They were bought, uh, a, a while ago and, um, their quality has fallen off a little bit. Um, hammer strength makes fantastic machines. Uh, we've, uh, signed a deal exclusively with Imagine strength. We use a lot of their, uh, machines, which is a, a really impressive up and coming newer brand. That's uh, got one of the original developers of Medex technology. Um, that's he's kind of collaborated with them. So imagine strength makes really good stuff. One of my favorite machines that you see commercially now is Prime uh, Strength Equipment, which used to be Strive. So they've actually got selectorized technology on the cam. So you can change where the cam actually distributes the weight, which is more of a novelty than anything, but they're just really well-made machines. Um but if you see a lot of pulleys, it's probably not a great piece of equipment in general. That's just a good rule of thumb, right? If it's got Kevlar, and this is not by any means a perfect perfect system to use, but if it's got Kevlar straps, it's probably better than if it's got pulleys. And if it's got a cam on it, it at least in theory is trying to replicate some kind of, of range of movement um, that it should be and, and reflect that in the strength curve. 
That is very well explained. I think the listener can really visualize that. That will be very, very helpful and some really good practical tips, which I love. So when I first started training, we did a lot of sports specific type training, what we would call functional training. So I'm a hockey player. I'm going to go to the gym and do things that look like hockey, right? I'm going to jump back and forth like I'm skating or swing a stick that's heavy, like I'm swinging a hockey stick trying to smash, you know, my buddy's leg or whatever. Why, why is training in this style that, that does not look like any particular sport, why is that more beneficial than doing that kind of um, functional training? Yeah, so so function in sport is just dicti- dictated by strength, right? So there's this misunderstanding of, of the laws of, of transfer and, and motor movement um, that, you know, people have decided that using a weighted bat, for instance, is a big one. We see this still to this day, you know, people will put a donut on the bat that makes it a few ounces heavier and they'll try to swing it. Well, the problem is that sports movements, right? All the things that high level athletes do are super specific, like super specific in the nervous system. And the only way to actually improve those abilities is to practice them and to drive home those neurological pathways that allow you to be a better hitter, like a Barry Bonds or, uh, you know, insert your favorite baseball player, Mike Trout, whoever's relevant these days. Um, so even when we confuse those skills just the tiniest bit by adding the donut on, what you're actually doing is slowing down your bat speed afterwards, right? So the the thought is if I use a heavy bat, it's going to speed my my swing up because I'm swinging it with this heavier bat. I take the, the weight off and now I'll be able to swing it faster. But our neurological systems are so specific that if you're practicing with the heavier bat, you're actually going to slow down your swing. Because now you're practicing a slower swing than you would if you were just using the actual bat that you're supposed to use, right? So the reason this style of training is is so beneficial to sports is because you don't confuse your your system, right? So when we see athletes who are, are practicing weighted medicine ball throws, or they're you know they're trying to add weight, people will add weight to any sort of activity now. It seems like to try to you know under the the guise of improving that specific movement. And there's just no transfer at all, or if there is one, it's negative, right? Now, high-level athletes can get away with this because their central nervous systems are so finely tuned that they can differentiate between the heavier skill, the lighter skill, the normal skill. The average person can't do that. So if you're trying to improve your golf swing by using a heavier club, you're just going to destroy your ability to actually hit the golf ball. Whereas if you're improving your strength overall, you're going to improve your ability to generate force and whatever that movement is without confusing your neurological system and then practice the heck out of whatever you want to get better at. Right. So if it's golf, it's, if it's baseball, just practice that skill as much as possible and get as strong as possible in the context of that sport. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's super well explained. Uh, nice name drop on Mike Trout, by the way. He famously spent part of his AAA time here in Salt Lake City, actually. So Okay, there you go. Yeah. I had no idea. We just have to kind of hang on to whatever like kind of celebrity we have around here. Like, we'll mention the Olympics like 20 years after it actually happened all the time. That's what we have. That's all we have. It might be coming back, I it heard. It might be. Yeah, it might be. I'll, be. I'll be excited for that. Okay, um, another argument that I hear all the time is that if I'm moving slowly, I'm only working slow twitch muscle fibers. Can you explain the thinking behind that? Yeah. So the idea for, for people who don't know is there's two main subcategories of, of motor or of muscle fibers in our body. So there's slow twitch and fast twitch. Um, there's subcategories underneath there, but essentially slow twitch are the slow to fatigue fibers, right? So your endurance fibers, you think of runners, um, like marathon runners, things like that. And then type two fibers are going to be your fast twitch, uh, easily fatigable fibers. So these are the fibers that are associated with more explosive movements. So you'd think, um, you know, football players tackling, uh, explosive sprinting, things like that. So we all have some sort of distribution of, of these two types of, of subsets of fibers. And again, there's, there's other subsets underneath, uh, and type two specifically, but for, for this explanation, we don't really need to understand that. Um, so essentially the argument is that if you're moving slowly, you're only engaging, um, those, those first, uh, slow to fatigue fibers, but the reality is, is if the weight is heavy enough, once you cross a, a certain threshold of your percentage of one rep max, if you take a set to momentary muscular failure, then using Henneman's size principle, which just states that uh, motor units will will 
work in a sequential order, right? So they'll start with the slowest and work towards the fastest. It doesn't matter what speed you're using, you're going to get to those faster twitch motor units and fatigue them, assuming you take this, this set to failure, right? So a lot of this might just come from the idea that if you're using a lighter weight, which you typically have to do when you're moving slower, as opposed to using explosive movements that, oh, well, I'm just not engaging those faster twitch fibers. Well, if you take that set and extend it beyond what most people are doing, which is their three sets of 10, whatever, whatever it might be, you'll actually get to the point where you are engaging those fibers and they are fatiguing and you will engage everything that you're trying to engage in a much safer manner, as opposed to working explosively and doing some kind of ballistic movement to try to engage those fibers. Very well explained. Also, that was really well done. So how do we know frequency wise when is a good time to do the next workout? Like what are some signs and symptoms that say we had this brief, but hard exercise, like you said, frequency, when do we know when we can do it again? I would say if you're erring on the side of caution, start with a minimum of, of two days rest, right? Especially if you've never trained this way before. Now, if you're currently training and doing something else, you should probably extend that out. Um, if you've never trained before, I, I think you can probably handle a little more frequency simply because you're not going to be physically capable of working as hard. Um, so if you're, if you're new to this style, if you've never strength trained before, give it at least 48 hours in between. I still wouldn't advocate training more than three days per week. Um, if you're training in this style and you will very quickly start to realize if you're progressing your weights and your intensity, that three days a week is, is too much. I would say for 95% of the people I've worked with, they're definitely outliers three times a week is, is too, too much. Um, once you start feeling like you're getting fatigued add an extra day, go to 72 hours, right? So a Monday, Thursday cadence or a Tuesday, Friday cadence. If you feel like you're getting even fatigued during, during that, extend it out another day. I mean, there's, there's literally no benefit to training earlier, right? Now, some people will take this to the extreme and say once every two weeks. Um, I think that's probably a little too infrequent uh, just from a muscle retention perspective. Now, can you get good results and maintain them in the long term? Probably. I mean, I know people who are extending their workouts out extremely infrequently. I honestly like working out though. Um, so I, I would say that's a little, little too long for me. So I would say start with two days, go to three days, maybe don't extend it past five days. Um, if you feel like you're, you're getting run down and you can't recover, then it's probably time to start thinking about sleep, nutrition, some of those other things, uh, or maybe factoring into your, your lack of recoverability. Yeah. And, and, this is where I get tons of pushback from my clients. And this is where <laughs> the people who taught you got pushback from you because you loved exercise so much. I've heard you describe this in the past. Can you talk about what it was like for you to be like, okay, I'm doing these workouts. I'm adding additional workouts. How, how quickly was that like not a thing anymore? Oh yeah. Yeah. With, uh, with when you first started this training, I, I don't think it takes very long. If you've got a, a coach or a, a an exercise physiologist or a trainer that you're working with, or even an exercise partner that you're working with, that's holding you accountable in your workouts um, and making sure that you're working to that point of momentary failure and potentially beyond. Um, you know, when I first started at, at my strength studio, I think that's what you're, you're alluding to. I, uh, you know, I thought maybe I could squeeze in an extra workout here or there just cause I was so used to working out five or six days a week. And very quickly, I realized that going to the gym on those other days, I just had absolutely no motivation whatsoever. Like there was no desire to do more work because I was so fatigued. Um, and I think once you get to that point, you, you know, you quickly realize, okay, this is, this is enough. What I'm doing is, is more than enough as long as I'm doing it hard. Interesting. I just heard this. I'm not sure how this is validated, but I heard that that feeling, the, the, the feeling of wanting to work out is like a weirdly, like kind of strangely good predictor of your recovery state. If you are feeling like you don't want to work out today, regardless of what you have scheduled, you probably shouldn't work out that day. And that's a really good correlation with, um, you know, your, your workout performance and also the results you get on the back end. And I would argue even things like injury, you know, the risk of injury would be much higher on those days. Yeah, we, we were lucky enough on our podcast to have a New York Times bestselling author, uh, Christy Ashwanden on. So she wrote Good to Go, which is a book all about recovery. And, uh, you know, people obsess over their whoop straps and their Apple watches and their aura rings and all those things and what those metrics are telling them. But you hit the nail on the head. The actual only uh, objective measurement that that shows real benefit as far as like readiness 
is completely subjective, which is asking people how they're feeling that day. Are they ready to train? And that is significantly more accurate from a performance standpoint than any strap, any wearable, anything like that. So incorporating things like that, whether it's a workout journal, um, whether it's just simply having an honest conversation with yourself, do I want to train today? If the answer is no, you know, I, I think other factors come into play, right? Like one of the things we encourage our clients to do is be consistent and not every workout has to be a home run. Right. So if you're not working out at all and you're, you know, adamant about Monday, Thursday, and I'm going to commit to this, some workouts can be not great. That's okay. Right. But showing up and doing it is fine. We just know that we're not going to necessarily hit it out of the park that day. And for some people, they just need that consistency where you or I might say, Hey, I'm going to skip Thursday this week, but I'm going to get back to it on Monday. Other people psychologically can't wrap their brains around that. If I skip Thursday, I'm going to skip Monday. I'm going to skip Thursday again. Like my whole world is going to crumble down. So that's an important factor to keep in mind as well. That's a great tip. Have a B workout planned. That's maybe a little bit more ability based, easier workouts, lighter loads, all, all that. So you can keep that habit without pushing yourself over the edge. Uh, your podcast is fantastic. I love discover strength. It's one that I know I can dial up and really, you know, listen to any a particular topic that I'm thinking about with my clients. The most recent one, not I, I've listened to the most recent one that you've already mentioned. It's really great. I listen to one, you know, done a few months ago where you and Luke and one other person were discussing exercise as far as like weight control and exercise is just not that great at weight control. We, we thought it would have been a lot better and it's really not. I think the biggest benefit of exercise is actually mental more than anything. Um, but, but, you know, for weight loss and weight control and overall health, you, you've, you've gone through a journey in the nutrition side of things. You actually wrote about it in your book. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey through nutrition and where you are now? Yeah, for sure. So when, when I first got sober and started at uh, my strength studio in, in Minnesota, I um, also happened to read The Bulletproof Diet by Dave Asprey um, right around the same time. So uh, the owner there, Kevin Ness, was super into keto and it kind of dragged me in since you know I was sort of believing everyth everything he was telling me. And it was so world-changing with, uh, with Arthur Jones and Ken Hutchins. It's like, I'm going to hop on this bandwagon as well. And I had great results um, doing keto. So uh, I wrote about it in my first book and how to look good naked. And, you know, I advocated for a low carb lifestyle and it was super beneficial for me at the time. And I, I kept it up for quite a few years after that. I've kind of changed my tune in the meantime. I, I look at keto and, um, really any dietary intervention now is more of just a strategy, right? And there's tons of different strategies and tons of different ways are effective for people. And it's certainly something that you can keep in your back pocket if somebody's struggling or if they need a specific style of eating. Um, because I, th I think that's with diet, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about this. It's people like a pattern, right? To tell people to eat less is not very effective. They need sort of a camp to get into. Um, and that just motivates people. It's, Hey, I'm doing, I'm doing keto now. Right. So it's like it's, I can identify with that and I can look for foods that are keto friendly and I can, you know, uh, go on keto chat groups and do all those things. And um, people just like being part of a tribe. Right. We've, we've known that for a long time. And so I think that's where where dietary interventions are are beneficial, regardless of what type of intervention it is. Yeah. So were you doing the keto diet as as you know, lots of people are doing? Obviously, the trend for, quote unquote, the keto diet is kind of gone down pretty far. Were you doing that version of the keto diet or were you doing other things to be in ketosis, which in my opinion is a different thing? Yeah. I mean, I never actually measured my ketone levels, but I was eating an extremely high fat diet, um, only eating once or twice a day. And it was sort of, if you've read the Bulletproof Diet, um, Dave, I, I have no idea. I stopped reading his stuff a long time ago, but me too. He sort of talked about, yeah, he's gone off the reservation a little bit, but he, he, uh, talked quite a bit about, you know, um, getting into ketosis and what counted and what didn't count as far as calories. And if you were eating fat, uh, you know, doing like bulletproof coffee, then it didn't necessarily throw you out of ketosis, uh, might even help boost you into it. So I would say my typical diet for about two years was have a, a bulletproof coffee in the morning with butter and MCT oil and salt. Um, and that would carry me through till probably two in the afternoon, two, sometimes three, sometimes four. And then I would have, um, you know, like a giant plate of eggs and bacon and, uh, avocado and, um, sometimes steak, you know, move those food groups around a little bit, but it was a lot of eggs and bacon and avocado and steak. So, uh, and maybe once a day, maybe twice, just kind of depending on hunger. And then I would just stop eating. 
Um, but as many diets that are effective for people, I also, you know, that what, what happens and what makes zealots out of people is they, they don't realize subconsciously how many other things they're eliminating. Right. And this is where something like a keto diet can be super beneficial because you hop on the bandwagon and you also eliminate a lot of processed foods and you take out sugar and you take out all these other things that can contribute very easily to weight gain. And all of a sudden you've got magic results. And was it keto? No, it was, it was getting rid of all that other crap. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was keto did it, you know, and I, and I was a, a full, full believer at the time. Cool. Well, how many carbohydrates are you consuming on a daily basis today? Um, definitely more than I was back then. Uh, I eat, uh, rice pretty regularly now. Um, but I, I would say still probably under 200 grams of carbs on most days I shoot for probably less than 150. I still try to prioritize protein for the most part of my diet, but I don't, I don't worry myself if I, you know, go get a, a whole plate of sushi or something anymore. Yeah. No, that's great. I love that. I would still call that low carb. I don't think anybody yeah. moves towards, again, quote unquote, the keto diet and decides that it's not working. I'm, we're going to go back to like four or 500, you know, grams of carbohydrates a day in the form of sugar, unless they really, really fall off. Like, I think once you yeah. get at least in that realm, like, yeah, you can reintroduce things and you'll be fine. White rice to me is like the most benign carbohydrate on the planet. And even when it's cooked and cooled in sushi, it's resistant starch. Like you're hardly absorbing any yeah. of it anyway. And so, yeah, I, I, I always have to check myself. I'm in the carnivore space. I do the carnivore diet. I like it. If for me to just say all of this other stuff is not food, it helps me with my mental, you know, clarity and anxiety. It works for me. I always have to check myself when somebody does something different. It's so easy to get dogmatic and it's what keeps all of us so humble in the nutrition space. It's like we're wrong about everything all the time. And I don't know what anybody else's experience or what they're going to benefit from. You know, I just got back from the Metabolic Health Summit. And I can't remember which presenter said this. They asked like, okay, what is the best form of a study that you can possibly do? And you could hear all the participants in the, in the you know, in the, in the meeting hall and they were all rumbling like, oh, it's a clinical randomized control trial. And he turns the slide and says, no, it's an N of one. It's your it's your study. It's your study on yourself. And you really need to be diligent about trying different things, seeing what works and being willing to be wrong and pivot when something all of a sudden, maybe it was working and now it's not like you always have to be cautious about that kind of thing. Yeah. I love that. And that's just such good advice in general too, because, you know, I, I, I recently got my, my master's from uh, the university of Wisconsin river falls in strength and conditioning. And I specifically got a degree in strength and conditioning because I knew that it would go against the paradigm of high intensity training, um, that I'd been, you know, advocating for, for the last six years. And it was so beneficial to, to be humbled in that sense, to go like, this is like the things that you and I might think are dumb. That's what the highest level athletes in the world are doing on a consistent basis. So to say that it's not effective is just patently false, right? There are plenty, plenty, plenty of, of ways to get effective results. What I'm arguing for and what I've, I've come to sort of realize over time is that I'm arguing for what I think is the safest and most effective way to do it. And it's not necessarily the most beneficial, arguably even, right? It's it's what is going to keep people healthy in the long term and allow them to do this for the rest of their life. And I would argue that, you know, that's a hill I'd be willing to die on. But whether or not it's the most effective, I don't think anybody can say that. And it's the same with diet. Like you were saying there, it's, you know, it, it, you could eat all rice and that might be effective for you. You could eat vegan, completely vegan, and that might be effective for you. Carnivore, whatever it is, I, I love that idea of, you know, the N of one and actually learning for yourself instead of getting completely dogmatic one way or the other. Yeah. Well, I really respect you, the way you've approached this and, you know, said, yeah, I wrote about this. It's in my book. I don't currently do it right now. That's not to say something might change tomorrow. This is what I'm doing now because this is what's working and it's pivoting from what you said before. And I, I have a lot of respect for people who are constantly learning and admitting, you know, I, I, I had it right for a while and now I need to change and shift my thinking and evolve really. Uh, so your studio discover strength is opening here. Uh, in a few months, what are you most looking forward to? Uh, I think just getting involved in this community, you know, just seeing the differences and, and the similarities and the type of people out here versus what we've had in, in Minnesota. You know, I've been so grateful, uh, in the last five years that I've been with discover strength, it'll be five years next month, um, to just create relationships with people that, that are really meaningful. You know, some of my best friends, 
um, that I have in the world right now are, are clients, you know, or, or, well, I guess technically former clients now who are still in Minnesota. Right. But, um, I think the, you know, we miss out sometimes on the, the group relationship dynamic that you might have at a place like a CrossFit studio, but man, do we really cultivate meaningful, powerful relationships with people just in that one-on-one and small group setting. And I'm really excited to just meet some, some wonderful people out here in the, in the Salt Lake, in the Valley. Yeah. Well, I have to say there's not much, if anything, in the way of the concept that you guys are bringing. So it'll be very unique. The people around here are awesome, dude. You're going to meet some great, great people. Um, I've been fortunate enough to live here and grow up here and everything. Um, and, and you're going to meet some awesome people and you're really going to change a lot of lives. And I love that you mentioned, you know, the time that you spend with your clients, dude, our clients are family, man. I mean, you add up the time that we spend with people. It's a weird amount of time that we get to spend with people. And yeah, we're, we're counting, we're, you know, making sure you're doing things safe. We're program designing. There's lots of things we're doing in this session. I really want to make sure that I'm taking away everything but the workout for you so that you can just come in, get the workout done and get out. I can explain things if needed, but like more than that, like we're making connections, we're talking to our clients and like they end up being our family. It's a really special connection. So I'm really looking forward to your place opening. Is there anything else you want to say about your studio? Yeah. I mean, I would just say, you know, what, what makes discover strength unique is, is going to be those relationships, but it's also, like you said, there's, there's really no other concepts in the Valley that I've seen, maybe stuff that's somewhat similar, but we are a evidence-based studio, right? Meaning we're not going with the latest trends. You're not going to see all kinds of box jumps and things, you know, in the studio, you're going to come in, you're going to see mostly machine-based training, and you're going to be working with an expert. And I think that's something that's really worth mentioning is all of our trainers at Discover Strength have a four-year degree in exercise science. We do continuing education. We get advanced certifications. Um, you're not just working with somebody who's passionate about exercise. This is their career. This is their livelihood. Um, and we want to be your resource for all things evidence-based exercise, which means asking about the latest trend you've seen. Why are we doing things this way? Why aren't we doing what, you know, my, my 17 year old baseball playing son is doing? Um, is this safe? Should he be doing that? Right. Let's, let's, uh, you know, have a a relationship where you can really feel confident talking to your, your exercise physiologist about all things, evidence-based exercise and knowing that that's our only focus, right? We don't do nutrition. We don't do uh, cardiovascular programming. We just do resistance training. And we are so solely focused on that and any questions and answers that we can provide our clients um, in that realm. So super excited to just, just bring that um, enthusiasm and that expertise to, to the Valley for sure. It's fantastic. Are you going to put us out of business? Uh, maybe, but you can come work for us. We're hiring. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I would really love to not work for anybody else for the rest of my life. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, you know, we've got such a health crisis that all of us are needed. And so I love, I love cooperating with all the wonderful personal trainers in the Valley. We have a, a really good base in, of knowledge around here. And so you're, you're coming into a good spot. Yeah. And you, you know, that Casey, I mean, I, I don't feel any, um, competitiveness with any other gyms or any other places or any other personal trainers in the area, simply because what we do is so different and our offering is so different. And like you said, there's a a health crisis in this country. I think the number, uh, is something like, you know, 15 to 20% of Americans exercise. That's not even resistance training. That's just exercise period. And that number hasn't really changed since the eighties. So there's, literally millions and millions and tens and hundreds of millions of people that need the services that both you and I are offering. Um, and I don't think we're going to be at a loss for, for clients for a great long time. So I'm excited and, uh, hopefully, you know, collaborate and work with you guys in the future. Absolutely. Totally great to welcome you here. And I'm happy to be changing lives around here with you. Uh, so cool what you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on and explaining, uh, super slow and all the different formats you guys use. I think it's really valid and valuable. You know, people can understand that, yeah, it's not going to be easy, but it can be really simple. You don't have to make this complicated. You don't need to spend tons of money on workout programs and, you know, meal plans done by influencers on Instagram. So, uh, really great conversation. Uh, Logan, where would you like people to go to find you to connect with you and your work? Yeah. So for, for the company as a whole, it's just www.discoverstrength.com. 
Um, if you'd like to reach out to me personally, it's just Logan at discoverstrength.com. And I'd love to hear um, from anyone. If you're in the Valley and you're interested in setting up an introductory workout, it's always free for your first introductory workout. Um, so even if you train with Casey and you're one of his uh, clients and you just want to see what it is that we offer, um, I would love the opportunity to shake your hand and um, you know show you some of the cool equipment we have. And that includes you, Casey. I want to get you in for dude. an intro workout at some point too. So I would love to, dude. I, you know, we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but like the difference between, you know, knowing how to do a hard workout by yourself and actually having somebody take you through is totally different. I cannot push myself to the levels that I need to be pushed. If I'm just training by myself, you have to have somebody there like watching you and, and, and egging you on to like really get to those deepest levels. So I will take you up on that. And, and yes, any of my clients are more than welcome to go check you out. Logan Hurley, he, it was awesome to get to know you, um, have coffee with you the other day. And again, to have this conversation about your business, we're super excited for you and discover strength coming here to the Salt Lake city Valley. And we're so grateful for you and all your work and the time you took to be on our show today. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Casey. And thank you everyone. It was such an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless body radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It's incredible to see the podcast continue to grow and grow and reach more people from all over. We always love seeing all the comments and feedback that you send in. And frankly, in the last few months, I've actually gotten some of the kindest messages I've ever gotten from listeners of our podcast. And it's just really so overwhelming and humbling. And I'm just so grateful for that. Our intention for Boundless Body Radio was to always put something positive back out in the world and help share a message of health to hopefully improve some lives. And I'm very happy to say that I feel confident that we are accomplishing that mission. We absolutely love connecting with people from all over the world. So please go to myboundlessbody.com and feel free to book a complimentary 30-minute session with us. We love helping people create plans to reach their health goals, but even if it's just to schedule a time to say hello and introduce yourself or to just have a session where we can bounce ideas off of each other, we would really love to hear from you. Also, be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review as it's a great way to help this podcast reach more people. You can also go to our YouTube channel, which I don't often talk about, and subscribe to our show, Boundless Body, where we post all of these full interviews. And I also post some shorter clips taken from these interviews that might highlight something really awesome that one of our podcast guests uh, was talking about. So be sure to go check that out. Thank you again, as always, for listening to Boundless Body Radio. We really appreciate you, the listener, and look forward to many more great episodes to come.